This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by hardcore fans, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host to this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that want to get in this business, but to those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your every day. So on to our guest this week. There are very few individuals that can say they started working for a team right out of college and have worked their way up through the organization to a C-level executive role. In addition, he is also a part owner of a professional Major League Soccer franchise. I'm very excited for our next guest, the Chief Revenue Officer for the Golden State Warriors, Brandon Schneider. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. I appreciate you having me on. Brandon, I'm really excited for our conversation today and certainly a lot to go hit on. From your career path at the Warriors to all the awards you have won, opening a new building, and certainly being a part owner of LAFC. The best place to start is let's go from the beginning. You were born in California, attend UCLA, and earn an economics degree. I know you thought about heading to work in Wall Street, but walk us through the journey of growing up, attending UCLA, and any early jobs you had in your life. Yeah, you summed it up well. So I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, like you said. So I've lived in the Bay Area my entire life except for UCLA. I uh, was a business economics major, an accounting minor, and, uh, and, and I always thought I would get into something in finance. So I thought I'd be an investment banker, venture capitalist, and in retrospect, maybe I should have done that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding. <clears throat> um, but and, and no, everyone may not remember this, but I graduated UCLA in 2001, and, and the stock market had just crashed. So I, I had great interviews at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, and, and had you know referrals and connections and networking and all those things. <clears throat> and, and people were like, look, we'd love to hire you, but 
we're, we're firing people. Um, yeah, Wall Street's not the ideal place in the market crash. Yeah, I mean, it was. I could not have graduated at a worse time. If I'd been three or four years earlier, um, I'd probably be doing something very differently right now. I probably would have started some incredible, you know, startup or something. I don't know, <laughs> you know, before the bubble burst. But so, so I, I was working in a restaurant, which I had done throughout school, kind of looking for the right opportunity. And I was at a Giants game um, in a suite with, with a guy named Jeff Krolik, who was a family friend. You, you may recognize that name. He recently retired but was a longtime TV exec with Fox Sports Net. Yep. They were the Warriors and the Giants RSN at the time. So he knew I was looking for a job. I'd gotten to know him a little bit uh, pretty well. And, and so he offered to put in a word for me with the Giants and the Warriors. <clears throat> Never heard from the Giants. Didn't hear from the Warriors uh, right away. And, of course, I, I didn't follow up. You know, all the things that you would suggest people do, I did not do. Um, <laughs> but, but two months after I reached out, I got a phone call from Diane McCausland, who said, Robert Rowell wants to meet with you. So that was the president of the Warriors. Um, so I, I didn't know what I was interviewing for, but I, I put on one of my dad's suits uh, and went to talk to him. Of course, I did zero research on him. So I walked in his office, and he was clearly like 30-something years old, which, which I was surprised. And, um, again, doing lots of things that I would suggest nobody uh, replicate. Uh, you know, and Always I a learning to, experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're learning from my mishaps. <laughs> um, but so, so we, we ended up having a great conversation. He asked me if I could sell. Uh, and, and long story short, by the end of the discussion, he had me meet some of the ticketing leaders. By the end of the, that, that discussion that day, he, he offered me a job in, in sales for the Warriors, and, uh, and the rest is history. That's awesome. Now, Brandon, did you have any sales experience, like, growing up? Like, you know, what, what was a job that maybe led you down that, hey, you know what, I think I can be successful at sales? Yeah, I, I really didn't. Um, you know, the jobs that I had growing up, you know, when I, when I turned 15, my dad, I'll never forget this, we were sitting, like, at lunch or something. And he says, um, he goes, have you thought about, Brandon, have you thought about, you're turning 16 in the year, have you thought about what you're going to do for a car? And I, I kind of was like, well, I, I hope to have one, um, but no, I, I have not thought about that. So he, he made a deal with me that if I, if I started really saving money, then for every dollar I saved, he'd give me a dollar to help me buy a car. And so I started working in this grocery store by my house, small grocery store, I was 15 years old, I was making $5 an hour. So I started doing that. Uh, and there's more customer service, so interacting with people. And then, and then um, during college, I worked at a restaurant called Il Fernio, which is an Italian kind of higher-end chain, you know, here on the West Coast. And, um, and, and what I learned is, is, in retrospect, working in a restaurant and being a waiter, I did all jobs, busboy and host and all those things. But specifically being a waiter, you know, interacting with customers and upselling wine and different things, it really does start to teach you some of the fundamentals of sales and interacting and being able to, to quickly build rapport with, with a variety of different people. Um, so I think that's the closest thing I had, you know. Look, I don't know if there's a lot of people that grow up saying I want to be a salesperson when I, you know, when I get older. Right. Um, but but what I learned when I got in, so I fell into it. I, the, the short answer to the question is no. I I really didn't have any sales experience and didn't really think it it was what I wanted to do. But what I what I quickly learned through time is that a I really liked it um, and I was you know decently good at it. Um, but but what I also learned is that uh, more of life is sales than people realize. You know when you're you know, out meeting, you know, your, your partner, right? You're out meeting, you know, men or women at a bar or whatever you're doing. You're selling yourself. When you're a business, yep. when you're a business owner and you're trying to get funding or you're trying to grow your business, you're selling. You're selling yourself. You're selling your company. So whether you're in sales or not, we're all in sales uh, in, in some way, shape, or form. In some capacity, you're always selling, absolutely. So from waiter to, to your thought on Wall Street to the Warriors. And so, Brain, I think that's one of the cooler stories is you rarely hear about the people within our industry that are able to rise up the ranks within that same organization. So, 
you mentioned you, you start out as a season ticket account executive, start working your way up. We could take an hour plus going through your journey with the Warriors and all the promotions you've had. But, but total story, you've been there over 18 years now. You've had nine different roles and are now the chief revenue officer. So first and foremost, congrats on all your successes. And uh, now, Brandon, I have a ton of questions for you. So what do you feel like you brought to the table every single day that helped you get so many promotions in such a short amount of time? Yeah, so, so thanks for that, first of all. And, and fortunate to have, to have a great team that's, that's helped enable the success I think, um, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, hustle. Uh, and, and I know that's, that's, that's the name of this Perfect. podcast. But, but no, but that's, but that's really right. And, and so, you know, I, I always wanted to be the best. You know, I, when I started as a salesperson, we always had a sales board. And it was literally just a whiteboard with a pen. You know, now you've got all these sales force and, and you the know, there's all these other ways. Now. Yeah, exactly. But back in 2002, that wasn't the case. So we just had a, a whiteboard. And every time somebody else went up to put seats up on the board, it motivated me because I, I wanted to beat everybody, you know, every week, and I wanted to be double everybody else. And not, look, I got along with everyone, but just having that competitive, you know, wanting to do the best I could do and just be the best. Um, and I also, um, because of how I got the job, I kind of came in with a chip on my shoulder. I, I didn't, um, you know, and, and back then these things weren't as prevalent, but I didn't do inter- relevant internships. All the things that I would suggest people do, I did not do. Internships, sports management programs, which, again, some of this was less prevalent, um, you know, back in those days than it is today. But I didn't do any of that. And so, you know, when, when I got hired, I don't think the words were looking for a salesperson. I, I sort of got my foot in the door um, because of a, a connection that I had, which I've learned over time is actually a really good way to, to get started. But I just at the time felt like other salespeople were going to look at it, look, there's a certain pie of commission and I'm going to come in and, 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 and create an extra slice and, and cost other people money, and, and maybe I didn't earn the job. And maybe I wanted to prove it to them. In retrospect, maybe I was really trying to prove it to myself. But I had that chip on my shoulder that I really needed to prove to, to, to myself and to everybody else that I really did deserve it. And, yep. and, and to an extent, I've almost carried that chip, you know, all the way through in, in the sense of, you know, constantly not, – not, I don't want to say feeling like you have something to prove, but – you know, constantly realizing it's it's what have you done for me lately? So you do good things over time, but it doesn't stop. Like you got to continue that on. Yep. Um, so some of the other characteristics to to your question, Travis, I think uh, being a team player uh, is, is critical, especially when you're in a sales role where it you know it, it tends to be you're looking out for yourself in your own sales, which to an extent is good. But the way that you do it and thinking about the, the best interest of the organization, I think as you want to grow, um, whether that's into management or, or overseeing other areas, I think is really important. Um, and then some of the other things that, that, that I talk about um, a lot is because everyone talks about, you know, I want to grow and, and, and how do I take that next step? And, and, you know, you almost do the next job before you get it. Um, you know, I, I don't know how often, and not in an overzealous way, to be clear, but I don't know how often your, your boss comes to you and says, hey, Brandon, hey, Travis, you're doing a great job. We're going to promote you. Just out of the blue. I, I just don't right. think that happens around. Or you can happen go, a ton. Right? Or you can go to your boss and say, hey, look, I really want a promotion. I really – and there's there's more of that. And I think having that dialogue so so your boss and, and other people know what your aspirations are is important too. But but it's finding ways. Like if I'm a salesperson, yes, I'm, I'm supposed to sell. But I, I'm on the front lines and I'm talking to people. I may have ideas. Hey, Travis, my boss, right? Like what if we – have we thought about this? Or I keep coming – against this objection? Have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? Or I'm not in group sales, but what are we doing here? What are we doing with suites? Just thinking about other things and, and, and having that sort of intellectual curiosity. So I, I think that's crucial. And then, and then linked to that is it, it's not about me or you. It's about the organization. So um, if, if I can become an asset to the organization where everything I do 
you know, kind of, kind of everything I touch kind of turns to gold. Um, it, it, it's in the best interest of the organization to give me more responsibility because it's only going to benefit the organization. So, right. so how do you build that sort of trust and, um, you know, that, 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 that track record where, where they want to give you more responsibility? I think it's a great way to approach it. No, absolutely. And, and great characteristics there. And, you know, I love your point on, you know, just being intellectually curious, right? Not only as a sales team member, as a sales leader, you know, and, and I know a lot of listeners are probably like, well, what if my leader gets upset? And it's like, honestly, every really good leader that I've ever surrounded myself with loves people bringing ideas. That's the only way you're going to get better is if you get challenged. Yeah, no, that, that that's right on. And, and look, to be clear, you, ha- you have to nail it with your what your core job is. So yep. if you're doing this to, and it's taking away from your what you're what you're really being paid to do, that doesn't work. So you right. got to get your job done. But you know, one of the, you you brought up a good point there, Travis. I think as you're looking, you know, you're navigating your career. I think you know the organization that you work for and the people that you work for um, is also a big part of the journey. I mean, I've been fortunate in that respect you know, working for Joe Lake and Peter Goober for the second half of my career and, and Rick Welts, you know, is my direct boss, are people I can really learn from and create the kind of culture that, that I want to be a part of. Right. No, absolutely. And so, Brandon, shortly in your career, you end up getting into leadership. And I know that's some of the biggest challenges at times is, you know, the biggest adjustments. One day you're sitting next to them as a peer and the next day you're now their boss. So what was that biggest adjustment and how did you kind of overcome that and, and continue to move forward? Yeah, it, it can definitely be a challenge, Travis. I think I think one thing I would say is a lot of the work is done uh, before the change is made, right? So um, you know, you you've, by that point, if you're if you haven't already established who you are from a character standpoint, um, if you haven't already built that credibility, built those relationships, built that trust, I think it's going to be more of an uphill battle. Um, so I, I think you know, I, I, one of the things Mark Jackson said to us when he first took over as coach of the Warriors, and I'm, I'm blanking, I, I don't know offhand what year it was, but we got the whole company together in a conference room, which is harder and harder to do. Grown. <laughs> and, and one of the things he said has always stuck out with me because I, I, I always thought it, but he articulated it really well, which was, um, you know, you, you have to be consistent in how you do things because. You, if you only do things when you know people are watching, it's just not authentic. Someone's always watching. So you're, when the lights aren't on, you should still be consistent and doing the right things. I'm, he actually said it much more articulately than I just did. But, but um, I think that's important, and, it, and it, I think it applies to what we're talking about here because, look, I, when I started with the words, I didn't know I was going to get promoted or what the path was going to be, but you still got to do things the right way through that process. So I, I think that's a big part of it. And I think once you get into that position, you know, the, the approach that you take, um, you know, not coming in thinking you know it all, thinking you have all the answers. You know, coming in and listening and learning and, 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 and you know, being being part of that transition with the people that, that are now on your team um, I think is important. And then the last thing I'll say is one size doesn't fit all. I think, um, you know, you're going to manage different departments differently. I mean, the transition you've described, Travis, I've gone through a couple of times and, and, and had the opportunity to work with others that have gone through, the, you know, this transition throughout their career. It's not. It, 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 it's some of these things are going to depend on the situation, and and then within each situation, you're going to treat each person differently too. You got to manage different people uh, differently, which you also have to learn. I think is part of that process. No, absolutely. And you know, Brandon, I think many people think of the Warriors as this dominant dynasty, which certainly over the last couple of years you guys have been, but that hasn't always been the case. You know, in, in doing some research in your first ten years there, you had a four thirty winning percentage. Um, and so walk the listeners through not only how it feels like you know, when you're having success when the team is having a ton of success, but then also some of the down years as well. 
Yeah, it, it didn't seem like it at the time, but in retrospect, starting starting my career, and there's a group of us that have been with the Warriors for a long time, during a time when the team wasn't good, uh, was actually a blessing in disguise. I mean, I remember going to NBA meetings and seeing people from the Spurs and, you know, the Heat and other teams with the rings, and I'm thinking, ring? We're not even thinking about ring. We just want to get in the freaking playoffs. Right, right? yeah. I mean, it just seemed like that. Yeah, exactly. So so you, you you gave the winning percentage, which I actually didn't even have that. The way I think about it, we had an 18-year span where we, we made the playoffs one time. That's really hard to do in a league where 16 out of 30 teams <laughs> make it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, the principles we learned during that time, you know, we had to be creative. We had to be innovative. Uh, we had to capitalize on every opportunity because we were not good at, at all, right? So you're selling the other team. You're, you're, you're creating this experience. Uh, I think the, the the biggest thing that I would take that I learned during that time and that I think we really focused on uh, was the laser focus on fan experience. And I think that gets cliched. Everybody everybody talks about it. But it's, I mean, the extent to which you take that to heart. That's the in arena experience. That's nowadays what you're doing, on you know, through social media and, and digitally because you have fans all over the world. Um, and, and I think it's also, like, not wanting to lose one customer. Like, when you're a bad team, the hot dogs are cold, they're warm, like, all the you, – you get complaints about everything. And, and some of it is, is well-founded and reasonable. Some of it's not. But you can't afford to lose anybody. I mean, I remember being, you know, being a director of ticket sales or, you know, being in these roles, and we'd go through renewals, and, and, and I'd get the list personally of people that weren't going to renew. And I, I remember going through and talking to these people and listening to everything and trying to fix some of their concerns. Some of these people I still talk to to this day, 10, 15, 18 years later – but I think that laser focus on on all of our constituents, whether that be season ticket members and suite, you know, suite holders, corporate partners, we learned back then. Now you fast forward to to what you mentioned. You know, we before this last year we had some injury hiccups. We had made the playoffs seven straight years, made the playoff or excuse me, the finals five straight years with three championships. So we've we've been blessed to be an unbelievable uh, team, you know, in recent memory. But I think we we kept those same um, you know the same principles in place. We don't take our fans for granted, and, and I don't know that other teams do, but, but there are situations where you may treat things a little differently. Maybe budgets come down. You know, our service team, ticket service team, for example, is 14 people that have their sole focus is, is um, taking care of our season ticket members. You know, they, they each have 350 or so accounts because we want to build a strong relationship with every single one of our members so they understand how important they are to what we do. Right. Uh, and the other thing I'll say on that topic that I think is really important is, is this stuff starts at the top. Um, Joe Lacob um, has multiple email addresses that somehow have gotten public, so he gets a million emails. Joe responds to everything. I get emails from Joe every other day, depending on the time of year, forwarding me emails from, from fans. So he either responds himself or he forwards it to me or, or someone else on our team to make sure every single thing is responded to. When your owner is doing that, you better believe the rest of us are doing that. Right. Um, so I, I think that's, uh, that's one of the biggest things I would say there. Yeah, certainly going above and beyond at all times for the customers. And, and to your point earlier on as well is like being ready to capitalize. That's going to be such a big thing because you just never know when it's going to be there. But when it is, you got to be ready to go. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. 
Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. And again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Brandon Schneider, Chief Revenue Officer of the Golden State Warriors. So, Brandon, under your leadership, you know, you just talked about seven straight, you know, playoff appearances, five straight finals, three championships, but you and your team have certainly been able to capitalize on those, where you sold out and, and capped your season tickets at 12000 and 90 percentage plus renewal percentage in multiple years, 377 games and counting of a sellout streak. The Warriors won the SBJ's Team of the Year in both 2014 and 2016. You were also awarded the Franchise of the Decade by the SBJ. And, and by the way, to your point, you were part of three NBA championships, a G League championship, which is a franchise you oversee as well. And so, ton of accolades. I'm almost out of breath thinking about them and talking about it. So, what are some of those key characteristics you've seen in successful people, you know, throughout that you've worked alongside with to, to win a lot of those awards? Yeah, first of all, again, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't start by saying so fortunate to be a part of everything that you just described and the team that, that we've assembled under Joe and Peter and Rick and Bob Myers. Uh, so we're, 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 I feel very fortunate to have been part of everything you just described. Um, you know, as far as characteristics I've seen for some of the people I mentioned and, and others that I work with, I think leadership, um, you know, is super important. Um, you know, you could be a good salesperson or a good sort of contributor, but but there's different um, characteristics that are that are important to be a, a good leader. Um, team player, we've talked about, but but you know, I think you get in a, a position where you have so many high performing people, and, and invariably everybody wants to grow and everybody wants to make more money. But how do you go about doing that? And having people that that are are, are really thinking about the best interest of the team uh, above you know the best interest of themselves, I think is really important. And sounds obvious, but is is sometimes easier said than done. I think one of one of our values is empathy. Uh, so I think being empathetic and putting yourself in, in the other person's shoes, and, and that goes for you know working through issues internally, but also with external parties. Whether you're negotiating with partners and vendors, you know, thinking about season ticket members, you know, a, a lot of different applications to that. But being empathetic, I think, is is crucial and not an easy one. Confidence is, is crucial, um, not arrogance, but confidence. And, you know, this goes for, for people in sales roles, but just in general, being confident in yourself, your abilities, in your teammates, you know, in what your organization is doing. Um, we talked about this earlier, but I, I want to bring it up again. Intellectual curiosity is critical where, you know, it's not just, okay, I'm, I'm in tickets or I'm in partnerships or I'm in finance. But we're all we're all thinking about the greater good, and, and and not just accepting the way that we've done things in the past. I think that's a big trap that that a lot of teams and look, we've been guilty of this at times as well. Is you have some success and you just kind of well, how do we do it last year? Okay, we'll just do that again. I think it's a good starting point, but but, but constantly sort of challenging the norms and, and and thinking about ways you can do things better as the world changes and and all the different inputs change. Um, being innovative. And not afraid to take risks is critical. And, and again, I'll, I'll point to ownership. And, and this time, Peter Goober, he, always, he he often says he's got a lot of good Peter Gooberisms. So you may hear more out of me. <laughs> but um, if you're not failing, you're not trying. And, and, and that really, because why do people not take risks? It, well, they're afraid afraid of failure. If your owner is telling you it's okay to fail, uh, as long as you're look, as long as you don't make the same mistake twice, and as long as they're calculated risks. Um, but we want to have a culture where people are not afraid to take risks. We think that's we think that's critical. 
No, absolutely. Well, Brandon, kind of going back, I remember being at a league meeting when I was at the Suns, and I sat next to you and Frank Maselli at the, the Spurs, and I was looking around like, wow, they, there's some rings. So I guess, do you wear any of your championship rings? Yeah. Um, so not, not, not in settings like you just described. Yeah. I no, I, yeah, I, I stand, you know, I want to make sure all the audience knows they were not wearing them. I just thought to myself, here's the Warriors, here's the Spurs. They're in a different playing level than we are right now. <laughs> which, which, as we talked about, I can, I can definitely relate to. So, so the one time I wear my, my championship rings really is two games, and I, I, the, the, what I, I had the, the opportunity to learn this over three, um, you know, NBA rings, but I would wear it for the next season to each game, so in arena. And the reason I did it, by the way, they're, they're, they're huge, they're bulky. <laughs> Uh, I don't wear – I wear my wedding ring, and that's it. Um, you know, and, and look, thanks to, to Joe Lake and Peter Gruber for being so generous to, to – I mean, all full-time employees, part-time employees got rings, and similar to what the players got. I mean, we, we were Pretty fortunate cool. in that respect. Yeah, the, the rings are unbelievable, and it's it's a huge payoff for all the, the hard work that, that went into it. But but really, the only reason I wore it at games – you know, I, you wear it like opening night or when you first get it because you're excited – and, and, and I got made fun of because, like, I know a lot of our ticket holders over the years, right, 18 years in. And I'd walk around the arena like I always do, and you'd see me, like, putting my hand out and people taking photos of my ring. I had <laughs> I remember one of our minority owners sends a text. This guy, Nick Swinburne, who's an unbelievable guy, founded Zappos, is one of our owners, texts me, Joe Lacob, Rick Welts, with a photo of me, like, taking photos. You're a hand. What, a Brandon, a hand model now? <laughs> yeah. But, 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 I mean, literally, this would happen every game. And so what was fun for me is, like, how exciting it was for, for fans to see it. So yeah. that's, that's really why. I, that was the, that's the only time I wore it, and that's, that's the reason I wore it. It's a great conversation starter, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and so after spending your entire career in the ticketing and premium space, a few years ago you get promoted to chief revenue officer. You start overseeing ticketing, sponsorship, business intelligence, digital marketing, retail, philanthropic efforts, and so as you're transitioning in that, you also get to be a part of a brand new arena build, which was the Chase Center that opened on September 6, 2019, you know, a little nice, cool $1.6 billion construction project. So, you know, Brandon, I know you and the team traveled to a lot of other facilities, did a lot of research, and, and ultimately now overseeing multiple different areas of the business that are going to be a part of that Chase Center. How was going through that experience for you? Yeah, it, it was unbelievable. Um, I, I think to have the opportunity to take everything you've learned, you know, throughout your career to build a new arena from scratch and, and, and have a chance to, to try and make it – it's never going to be perfect. And, by the way, these things are going to evolve over time. But trying to make it perfect. Uh, you, you mentioned visiting other arenas. Um, I think I've been to 22 NBA arenas, most of them in the last five or six years. I remember the first trip we took – um, was in 2012, and, and we went out to see Madison Square Garden and, and the brand, at that time the brand-new Barclays Center. Um, that was, by the way, a six-in-one road trip, which kind of propelled our sellout streak. Our, our first sellout was December 18th of 2012, right after that first road trip, yeah. coincidentally. So eight years um, and counting. Exactly, exactly right. So, so having that opportunity to go to all of these arenas and, and, and learn about things that, you know, in, in each – whether it was the GM or the president of the team that was kind of giving us tours, what what they loved, what worked well, what didn't work well, um, so so we could we could learn from that. The other thing the other things I would say related to that, Travis, is you, one of the things you learn throughout that process is the building really has to fit the city it's in, uh, the team, the fan base. Like you wouldn't build like the Sacramento Kings, not that far from us, built a new arena that opened. I should know this a year or two before ours. A couple of years. And, 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 
yeah, and Golden One Center is awesome. It's one of my favorite arenas that I've been to. Maybe maybe my favorite besides Chase Center. Um, but but you wouldn't build that arena in San Francisco just as you wouldn't build the Chase Center in in and Sacramento. Yep. Yeah, and same thing with FedEx Forum, which is a you know a nice arena, or or the Amway Center, you know, in Orlando. I mean, I could go on and on. So so that that was critical. And then the other thing that was really cool, from, um, but we learned so much from all the different executives and all the different people that we encountered through that process. Um, you know, that, that we really brought into not just building Chase Center, but just our business overall. No, absolutely. And so I know going through a new build or renovations and talking to a lot of people, there's some certainly some interesting meetings to be a part of, especially with everything you were overseeing. So as you think back to your experience throughout that point, what was the most unique meeting or, or part of that new build that you were just a part of that you probably looked in the mirror like, why am I here? Or like, wow, I never thought I'd be here. Yeah, that one's that – one's, uh, I think that's easy. There's a lot, by the way, but but I'll, what I'll say, it's, it's a series of meetings, but it, it was an unbelievable process, and obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, I had never been through this before, and what I learned in retrospect is this is not normal, but we met for four hours every single Thursday for I don't know how many years, because we are, we had a circuitous uh, route to get to where we are. We changed sites, so our, our process in building in San Francisco is, is unbelievable, unbelievably hard, um, probably harder than any city in the country, maybe in the world. Uh, so our process took longer than a lot of these take, uh, which which the, the positive is we had more time to work through all the different design issues. But I sat in a meeting with Manica Architecture, so David Manica and his team, who, who is our architect out of Kansas City, awesome to work with. They just did the Raiders uh, Stadium in Vegas. Um, and then Joe Lakeb and Peter Gruber, Peter Gruber lives in L.A., was was up for that meeting four hours every Thursday with your owners, Joe and Peter, Rick Welts, uh, Chip Bowers, who, who I think you know, Travis. Yeah, know Chip uh, very well. Who, who was our chief marketing officer for, for a good chunk of this before he left to go be president of the Miami Marlins. Um, and, then, and then we had um, Jennifer Cobble-Kinto, Marty Glick, uh, uh, who finance and, and one of our other owners who was involved in finance. And then our attorney was in some of this. But there was a small group of us with, I can't remember if I mentioned Rick Welts, that met every Thursday for four hours, walking through every piece of this. And if you saw the level of detail that, that people like Joe and Peter were getting into, I mean, it, it, it was, looking back on it, I mean, we, we probably belabored some of these issues that didn't need to be, but, but having a voice in every single decision yeah. Uh, that was being made and, and scrutinizing everything. Um, you know, hopefully listeners will agree when they get the chance to see Chase Center that, that it yielded, you know, what we think is a pretty awesome arena. But but that process was was an amazing thing to be a part of. No, that's awesome. What a great experience. And then, you know, going along those lines, surrounding yourself with a lot of successful successful people, a few years ago you become a part owner of LAFC. So how, how did that come about? Yeah, crazy story. So this was years and years ago, and I don't remember what year it started. I think it was it was around 2012, 2013. I was in uh, wine country for my birthday, and I, I got calls like 8 in the morning on like Saturday. I, I get a, 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 And I didn't have my phone right next to me. I got a voicemail from Peter Gruber. Um, and at that time, I knew Peter, but I knew Joe much better. Um, and and so, uh, so I called Peter back, and he's like, look, I can't tell you too much, but I'm working on I'm working on a new sports franchise. But you know, I need some advice on ticketing, and so we start talking through this, and we had a series of conversations. And every Peter's for anyone that's met Peter Gruber is an unbelievable guy, and he's been a great mentor for me, really starting from that day. But so we're working through this, and by the way, for Peter Gruber to call me uh, for advice on on an investment he was thinking about making was was flattering in and of itself. But as we got into the 10th, 11th, 12th conversation, he, he says, by the way, and by then he's told me what the venture is. Um, he's like, by the way, you can get in on this deal with me if you want. 
Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, hey, I, Peter, I hope you know I don't, I don't have uh, all that much money to contribute to this. <laughs> Um, but, but look, long story short, he brought it up that first time and, and, and was serious. And, and, you know, the result is uh, I was offered to be a part of the ownership group for LAFC. And, of course, I wasn't going to say no to Peter Gruber to that opportunity. So it's, it's been great. That's awesome. And so was ownership of a professional team something you'd always dreamed about, thought about? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, growing up, my dad was, a, was an entrepreneur and, and ran a, a floor-covering business that his dad had started actually in 1965. So my dad ran that for many years. So I grew up, you know, with, with that kind of backdrop. You know, when I started working for the Warriors and you'd be in interviews or different things, and, you know, as I'm kind of working up the ranks from a salesperson and director and VP and all that, and people used to ask, and this is more earlier in my career, people would ask me, what are your aspirations? And, and I, I said it probably almost um, – Certainly aspirationally, but I'd, I'd say, look, eventually I'd like to be in one of the corner offices. And I'd point it at Robert Rowell's office, who was our president, and Chris Cohan's office, who was our owner. And I was, I think I was probably half joking, um, but, you know, I, look, I, I just felt like if you work hard and, and do the right thing and, 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 you know, do the best you can and grow, you know, you might as well have, have high aspirations. Uh, I think as time went on, I realized upper management um, was probably more attainable. Um, but look, when Peter when Peter came with the opportunity, it, so I don't I don't know if it was something I always pointed to, but it, you know you always kind of had those aspirations. So it was, it's it's been pretty amazing to thanks to Peter and, and others to have that to have that chance. Nice, no, that's awesome. And, and now you're in a pretty exclusive group with a lot of well-known owners, such as you know you, you mentioned a couple of times Peter Gruber, Will Ferrell, Magic Johnson, Nomar Garcia Parra, Tony Robbins, just to name a few. So how has being part of this helped? expand not only your network, but also challenge you in ways that maybe you've never been challenged before. Yeah, and it's, it's been a great crew to get to know. I remember the, the opening press conference, I sat next to Tony Robbins, who, by the way, I don't know if people know this, is a huge guy. I mean, he's like, um, you know, 6'6", six, six and I mean, just a big guy. I had never met him um, and, and was such a great guy. So you, you, you got to know him in that instance. By the way, one name you, you forgot to mention is Mia Hamm who, for those that, I assume everyone knows, but for those that don't, maybe the best uh, female soccer player of all yep. time. Married uh, to Nomar, right? That's exactly right. Uh, and they're, they're funny. I mean, Nomar is such a, a passionate guy. I've gotten to know him. But Mia gives that that, that soccer. And, and, by the way, if Bob Bradley was here, who's our coach, would slap my wrist for saying soccer. So the football, <laughs> football, the football yeah. pedigree, yeah. So, so the rest of the world, it's football. It's just in America we call it soccer. But the right. football pedigree uh, of Amiya Ham has been great. So that's been great. But I think when you talk about being challenged, you know, Peter and the, and the owners didn't need my or, or our, we have like 25 owners, 20, 25 owners. They didn't need our financial capital, right? Like they, they could buy this team without, certainly without me. Um, they were looking for reputational capital. So when you talk about people like Nomar Magic, Wilfer, all these people from a brand building perspective brand, and making yeah. a splash in the, in the LA market, but, but also intellectual capital and experiential capital. Uh, and this is in Peter's words, by the way, I'm paraphrasing what he said. So I think, you know, I, I was brought into this, but it, there's almost a um, expectation that you're going to add, add value to the, to the enterprise. And so, you know, I've, I've wanted to try all along to be as helpful as I could to, to Tom Penn, who recently left to pursue other ventures, was our president, uh, but Larry Friedman, John Thorrington, and the team, not in an overzealous way, and, and we're lucky with the Warriors. We have a lot of owners as well, and they're super helpful and, and are there when we need advice or, or direction. So I wanted to, to, to follow that lead and not, you know, be on top of people, the ticketing folks or the partnership folks, where it's like, I got this freaking guy, go do your job with the Warriors, right? 
I want to be there to help but not overzealous. So I think yep. that, that was really where I was challenged is to, to have a, a different role where you're not managing the day-to-day, where you're, you're kind of giving high-level advice and direction. And, and, and so that's been, you know, it, it's ongoing. I actually had a call uh, the other day, coincidentally, with, with LAFC talking about some of the things that they're going through as, as we, you know, we're in year three, kind of a weird year three, um, you know, given the pandemic and everything going on. But, uh, but that's, I think that's been the biggest challenge. No, absolutely. It's probably got to be really cool on your end. Not only, and we've already talked about going through the build of the Chase Center, but LAFC went through a process of building a brand new venue as well, which is beautiful. So that's, that had to have been a pretty cool experience to be a part of two of those in the matter of a couple of years. Yeah, and coincidentally, I'll say LAFC started the process after the Warriors and finished the process before the Warriors. <laughs> that'll, that'll tell you how, how tough it was to get the Chase Center built. But look, the LAFC team deserves a lot of credit. For those of you that have, that have not been to Bank of California Stadium, it is, uh, I'm biased, but it's awesome. The way I describe it to people is it, because it's, and I think, you know, Don Garber, the commissioner, would, would, would echo this, and you're starting to see this with more new venues, but it's it's pushing the envelope. And I, I, I like to say it, it's basically like an NBA arena, uh, amenity-wise. The difference is it's outside, but you, you really have the clubs and the, and, you know, and the, and the concession experience and all those things that, that you, you come to expect in indoor arenas and NBA arenas specifically. So kudos to the LAFC team because Bank of California is awesome. No, well, Brandon, this has been great. Very cool to hear from someone who's not only been able to stay in the same organization, but a ton of great experiences to talk about. So to close it out, i like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Uh, no. I, I, right. I, I don't think I have a choice. No choice, no choice, exactly. So, uh, well, you can't – with the first question, you can't mention, you know, buying part of a, a team, but what is your favorite item you've purchased this year? <laughs> uh, that wasn't this year. Uh, you know, it's funny. It, it's funny. The first thing that comes to mind, and maybe this is recency bias, but we, we just bought we, – we grappled over whether to do this. We just bought an iPad for my three-and-a-half-year-old son, which – seems crazy like that was the part like are we really doing this you know we try and limit screen time but with distance learning it, it's been really good and then we actually just took a kind of road trip we, not wanting to fly given the environment we drove on the Laguna Beach about eight hour trip so him having an iPad to watch movies the whole trip was for an eight hour uh, trip oh it was so great for my wife so as an extension uh for me yeah as you say it paid for itself just in that one trip in spades. <laughs> so you're gonna now you're gonna sail around the world. What's the name of your boat? Hmm. I'm gonna say living the dream. That's what you're doing every day, right? That's right. And hopefully that's what we're all doing. But I think it's 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 true in general, but specifically true if, if you have the opportunity to sail around the world. What, what are you doing? You're living the dream. Right. Exactly. And what reality TV show would you be on? Oh, Travis, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. I don't watch a lot of, I don't watch a lot of TV beyond sports. I'm not, I'm not very cultured. So the, the one that comes to mind um, is Shark Tank. Um, you know, I love watching, watching that show uh, on occasion and uh, always fun to watch the entrepreneurs. So I think that if I had to be on one, I think that would be it. Yeah, and if you're anything like me, and I enjoy watching Shark Tank as well, because I sit back and like, why couldn't I have thought of that? Or that was so easy. I could have be there right now. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and even when you think about it, 100% true, and even when you think of ideas like taking the onus and knowing about, like, how to go about bringing that to life, um, you know, I'm, I'm always very um, impressed with that with that process as you watch how these companies start and then and then grow over time, especially being here, you know, in the Bay Area where there's so many startups, specifically tech. Right, all over the place. 
No, and yeah. so to close it out, Brandon, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Well, I hope you aspire to be in, in much bigger shoes than mine. But um, the, the three takeaways, and I've mentioned all of these things, but to, to try and sum it up, I think um, one of the things I learned, sometimes it's more who you know than what you know. Um, you know, that's how it helped me get my foot in the door, which is a big part of the, of the process. Uh, so I think networking, and, and, and everyone sit, you know, says they network, but building authentic relationships I think is critical. So that's number one. Number two, be a team player. Um, I said this, but everybody wants to grow their career. Everybody wants to make more money. But I think a lot of people don't go about that in, in, in the right way. So I think, I think making yourself an asset and, and, and doing what's right for the organization I think is critical. Um, and, then, and then another one that, I, again, I said this already, but do the next job before you get it. Um, and this is one that, that you know, I've, I've taken on more. I, I thought about how I did it, and I, I can't think of a better way to explain it. But, you know, not in an overzealous way. Uh, you're not stepping on other people's toes or anything like that. But in addition to nailing your core job, you're always looking for ways to, to add value. And, and just from your experience, whether that's personal experiences, you know, it goes back to diversity and inclusion being such a, a – it's become such an important thing, and you know this is something Rick Welch brought to us several years ago. But you want you're after that diversity um, so that you can get the different viewpoints, right? So that's that's and that's you know you want diversity in, in all different ways, but that's what allows you to have all these different perspectives. So I'm I guess my challenge to everybody is you know use the different viewpoints that you have based on your background, based on what you've experienced within the organization you work for, other organizations, um, and bring that experience to light to help the greater good. And then, you know, as you do that and expand and have more of an impact, it's only natural to then get that promotion because you, you, you've really earned it. No, that's awesome. Great advice. And to your point, you know, it's networking. You never know who, who you may work alongside or, or with one day. Being a team player, no matter, even if you're in a sales role, you're still part of a team and, you know, continue to be proactive and innovative, you know, doing the next job. So, so great advice, Brandon. Thank you so much. You've had a great career. You're an exclusive 40 under 40, a winner with the SBJ, Diablo Magazine, and the San Francisco Business Times. Certainly always a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate the time and expertise. Hey, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on, Travis. No, absolutely. Brandon, thanks again. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.